the Christmas carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It goes back to 1,200 years, 8th, 9th century. Uh, it sounded a little bit different than the way we're going to sing it in just a moment because it was in Latin. And it was also a ritualistic chant. In fact, when you listen to the song, you can almost kind of hear this kind of a chanting style that's a part of it. By the 13th, 12th, 13th century, it began to change. They started to overhaul the song a little bit. They cut out a few things here and there, and they put it into a hymn. But it wasn't until 1950, I mean 1851 that it was put into English, which is the song that we sing today. But one thing about this song, as you will notice, is that it is rooted in the Old Testament. It's to help us to see God's plan to prepare for the coming of Jesus. The writer wanted us to appreciate the glory of Christ and all the shadows and the types and the promises. He wanted us to see the prophecies and to hear the things and the anticipation for its coming. It even mentions in there about exile into Babylon. It mentions Mount Sinai and the giving of the law and, and things of that sort, but most especially it alludes to those messianic promises. It tells how Jesus is the gift that God gave to bring peace and salvation to all nations, not just to the Jews only, but to all of us. In fact, the last verse says that Jesus can bind all peoples in one heart and mind. But this song is also rooted in the return of Christ. You know, we talk about Christmas and the Christmas season, and we think about, you know, a lot of people just really focusing in on the birth of Jesus. It's not really about a day so much. First of all, we don't know when, but it's really about a season. And, and while it looks back to the coming and the anticipation of Jesus coming into the world, it's also meant to be a time where we are anticipating Jesus coming back again. It's, it's a time where we share with those ancients of old, the saints of old, who were waiting and anticipating the consolation of Israel, the one who would finally come and to wipe away all tears and would make all things right. So when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, it's, it's really a prayer that we're offering and waiting for the one to come and to finally bring that peace in its completion. Let's sing a couple of verses of this song together. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart. 
Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. This is the last song in our series this month on the carols of faith. It comes from that prophecy that we spoke about a moment ago, actually at the very beginning in Isaiah 7 in verse 14. 700 years after that prophecy was given, we read this in the book of Matthew chapter 2, where it says, And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, we may be thinking, or some of you may be thinking, I thought God was everywhere. Certainly, Psalm 139 tells us that, right? He is all-present. And he is. He's all-present universally in all, within all things. He knows all things. But there's something that was going to happen that his coming would be in a more personal way. When Jesus came into the world, he was truly, literally God with us. And Matthew makes sure in his gospel that we see that. We see it in the other gospels as well. That when Jesus spoke, he was speaking the words of the Father. That when, however Jesus acted, he was acting exactly as the Father would have acted. And that's why he was so shocked on the night of, of his arrest. He is teaching his disciples and Philip says to him, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And you can kind of hear the frustration in Jesus' voice when he says, Have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus has been showing him who God is all along. He has always been Emmanuel. John tells us that the Son of God, he tabernacled, literally. He came and he dwelled among us so that we could see his glory. He offered grace and truth. In other words, Jesus is not a symbol of God. He is God. Jesus is God with us in person. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. God with us is one of the most important themes in all of the Bible. In fact, we see that important theme throughout the New Testament. It's how the New Testament ends. It's one of the most prominent promises in the Hebrew Bible. Think about how the Bible opens. It opens with humanity in the Garden of Eden, and they are walking with God. They have fellowship with God. They are in his presence in a special way. And then we've, we talked about before humanity fell, and they disobeyed God. And the rest of the Bible, look at it, watch it. The rest of the Bible is about God's rescue mission of humanity. Salvation is not merely a matter of 
Forgiveness of sins. Sometimes I think that's what we think it is. Oh, finally, I'm forgiven of sins. But forgiveness is simply a necessary means to the end. Restoration of fellowship. The restoration of communion. The restoration of God living with us. That is the goal of salvation. It's why we read the stories like of Exodus, of the Exodus, because it tells us these narratives are intended to be there. Salvation for Israel, it did not end after they crossed the Red Sea, and and finally Egypt is behind them, right? It ends at Mount Sinai when they built the tabernacle, and God comes and he dwells in the midst of his people. The goal of salvation is God with us. Even at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus has died. He's now resurrected from the grave. And this is what he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. To the very end, I am with you. And so from the beginning to the end, Jesus is and he continues to be Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is not only God with us, though. Because of what he came and his mission, he is God in us. And for those of us who have had our own unique birth, a birth of water and spirit, according to John 3, then we too, we have God in us. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and he lives in us. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. And he lives in us. He tabernacles in us. He temples in us. Folks, God's dwelling is the goal. It's why the biblical narrative doesn't end at the cross. It's why it doesn't even end at the resurrection. It ends when God comes down and he dwells with us forever. At the very end, the last book... Revelation 21.3 says, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And that's why the Christmas season expands the celebration of the coming of Christ into the world to the anticipation of his coming again. Emmanuel begins the Bible. Emmanuel is the theme throughout the Bible. Emmanuel is on the first page of the New Testament. Emmanuel is on the very last page of the Bible. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you this day on this Christmas Eve, and we, and we ask you, Father, to fill our hearts with the genuine spirit that arises from your Son coming into this world. Let its significance never be forgotten or diminished. Nor the worries and the troubles of this world rob us 
of our Christmas joy. Thank you for being with us every moment of our lives. Thank you that we will never have to be alone because of you. May each moment of our lives be filled with this truth. For we love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.